So we're talking. We're starting a new series today. Predecide better decisions, better life. How do you make better decisions? So important. What do you think the difference is between people who are really fulfilled? Uh, they have a good life, good relationship. Their finances are in good shape. Uh, they have meaningful ministry, love life, and the rest of us. Uh, people are struggling to keep their marriages together, struggling in their finances. Uh, they want to be generous, but they just can't do it. They're struggling with their sense of purpose. They feel empty, purposeful less. Uh, here's what you can see if you watch. It's not intelligence. Because I've seen really intelligent people make some really bad decisions with their life. It's not talent, because, you know, we often see very talented people who often end up being like sports people that become wealthy that still cannot not make a mess of their lives. They can be attractive people, but that's not the answer, because even attractive people often have broken relationships. The difference between people who are truly joyful and those that are truly miserable is decisions. Life boils down to decisions. You make the decisions, and then the decisions end up making you. And I want you to get this. A God-honoring life isn't based on a few big decisions, but a thousands upon thousands of smaller daily ones. Did you get that? A God-honoring life, it's not, you know, we think of big decisions, but life is not just big decisions. Life is filled with literally thousands of decisions. The problem is we're not great decision makers. Think about it. We want to be healthy, (laughs) but we eat more than we should. We eat the wrong things. Uh, We want to be financially fit, but we buy things we can't afford. Uh, We want to be better at relationships, but we say things that we regret. We do things we don't want to do, but we do them anyway, and our decisions often end up hurting the people we love the most. The problem is we're not, we're not good decision makers naturally. Has anybody here ever made any bad decisions? Man, I have. I'm just thinking about some of the biggies. Uh, when Tina and I moved here in 81, is that right, 81? 81. When we moved here in 81, uh, we bought a house. Uh, I, had a, I had a 57 T-Bird. And we sold that 57 T-Birds, we have down payment money for our house. Then uh, that was a dumb decision. <laughs> so uh, so we, we bought a house, and we bought a house at that time in 81, interest rates were through the ceiling, like 12, 13, 14% for a house. We bought a house, and it was a negative amortization which meant that, and it was a five-year fixed negative, and then at the end of that, we had to refinance or something. I can't remember what happened in five years. The devil showed up and did something, you know, I don't know. Anyway, uh, and uh, at the end of that time, we owed more money than when we bought the house, and values had not gone up from the time we bought the house, so we were in the hole. So that was a stupid decision. I bought cars I couldn't afford because I wanted one. I just saw it and said, oh, I need to have that one. And, uh, you know, and, and pff, it was stupid, putting me in financial bind. I've just, I've done a whole, I don't know about you, I've done a whole lot of other things 
I'd prefer to forget, and I don't want to talk about them. Thank you very much. <laughs> when I look back, and I've said this before, but I think you need to realize this. When I look back, my younger self was an idiot. I mean, when you think, when you're 25 and you look back at your 15-year-old self and you think, my 15-year-old self was an idiot. And then when you're 35 and you look back at your 25-year-old self, you think, my 25-year-old self was an idiot. <laughs> then when you're 45 and you look back at your 35-year-old self, you think, my 35-year-old self was an idiot. You're an idiot now. <laughs> so am I. I'm not trying to pick on you. We all are. Because we're not good at making decisions. Why do we struggle? Because the quality of our decisions determine our life. Look what Proverbs 16, 25 says. There's a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. It seems right, but it's not. It's not the best way. It's not God's way. It's our way, and it's not the best way. So the quality of our decisions often determine the quality of our life. So why do we struggle to make good decisions. Number one, we're overwhelmed by decisions. We live in the information age, so we have lots of information about a lot of different things. Uh, cognitive scientists tell us that we suffer from decision fatigue. We're making too many decisions every day. We make approximately 35,000 decisions a day. It's nonstop. It's all day long. It's, it's, you know, you get up, it's like, what time are you going to get up? Then what are you going to wear? I mean, so you find yourself standing in your closet, staring at your clothes, waiting for a revelation. And so, you know, and if you're like me, you've got fat clothes and skinny clothes. Not quite as skinny, not quite as fat. There's just a whole spectrum of clothes. So you're like, okay, I wonder what I can wear today. Nope, can't wear that. Uh, you know, so decide, what are you going to eat? Uh, what are you going to eat for breakfast? You're going to eat right? You're going to eat what you want? Are you in a hurry? Do you have time? All of that. Then, you know, what are you going to say? You've got, a, you've got people around you. You're in a relationship. What are you going to say? What shows are you going to watch? Do you, do you ever end up just looking at the shows you're thinking about watching and not ever actually watching a show? Just thinking, surely there's got to be something on here worth watching. And you just go, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. And then it's like, oh, well, might as well go to bed. Uh, <laughs> we've got all, I mean, all these decisions, what, what to say in a text. So you get a text. And so, so sometimes... So you get a text and you have to decide, am I going to enter into this drama? You know, so you get a text and somebody, you know, somebody in the text stream, or maybe it's in social media, somebody, somebody, one of your friends or somebody says something in social media and you think, oh, ooh, I want to say something real bad. <laughs> and so do you? Should you? No. But, uh, but you want to. And so you're making that decision and... Uh, just all of these things, decision after decision after decision, the way you're driving, how you're driving, where you're driving, what you're going to drive, and, and what's the route you're going to get there. And are you going to trust the GPS that, that it's going to be honest and actually get you in the right place? Uh, so as the volume of decisions increase, the quality of our decisions decrease. So... We can make hard decisions all day long. We can do good. We go to work and we make these, we're brilliant. You know, we help people. We make these great decisions at work and then we come home and binge eat. 
because we're, we're tired and we're worn out. Or we make wise financial decisions. We think, I'm going to get my finances on track. I'm going to do it. It's time. It's time for me to get out of debt. Dave Ramsey, you're my, you're my homeboy. And uh, we're going to we're going to get it. We're going to take care of our finances, and we do it for about two or three weeks. And then there's this impulse thing: we we buy something stupid. So we make bad choices because we're not good at making good choices. Uh, number two, we're afraid of making a wrong choice, so we don't make a choice. So sometimes as Christians, we're so afraid of missing God's will that we we don't make a decision. We're waiting for perfect. And how, how many of you know perfect isn't always out there? So the perfect school, we want to go to the perfect school, we want the perfect school, perfect job. Which job? I got this job, you know, this job isn't going to fulfill me and make me happy, but this job is going to pay me more. Do I want more money or do I want to be happy? You know, uh, you know, what house am I going to buy? You know, should I buy a house? The answer for us in 81 was no, but you know. At the end of it, I didn't have a T-bird, and I didn't, and I owed more in my house. It wasn't worth it. Uh, my marriage, you know, perfect marriage. Since we're sure we don't make a decision, Joshua said to the children of Israel when they're in the promised land, he said, listen, you're going to need to follow God. He said, you need, you need to decide to follow God. As a matter of fact, you need to pre-decide. He said, let's today, right now, pre-decide to follow God. He's talking to the people of Israel. He said, because I've already decided. Listen to this. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, the Egyptian gods, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said, I've already made up my mind. I pre-decided who I'm going to live for and who I'm going to worship. So indecision is a decision. When you don't make a decision, you put off making a decision because you can't make the perfect decision. You still make a decision. An indecision will impede progress. If you don't make decisions, you can't move forward. He's saying we can't move forward until you decide what you're going to do. You're going to follow God. You're going to follow the gods of Egypt. You're going to follow the gods of the Amorites. Or you're going to follow the God who delivered you from both of those. So we're afraid to make the wrong choice. We don't make a choice. Number three, we let emotions overrule logic. Have you ever make, uh, it's funny how we will spend way too much time analyzing some decisions, just overanalyze them about things that don't really matter. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm an over-researcher. I will often spend hours, maybe days, on something just to save a couple of bucks. And then I'll turn and turn around and waste hundreds of dollars on an impulsive decision. I'd like to say that's in my past, but it's not always. All right? When it comes to important decisions, often we react in the moment. We don't think about the long-term consequences. We react in the moment. Kids get upset. You know, your kids are fighting. And logic says, be patient. Your emotion says, you know, to yell at them. Because that's what you want to do in the moment. Maybe you have an unexpected temptation. There's some kind of temptation to 
do something you know you shouldn't do. Logic tells you that's not right. You shouldn't do that. That's dangerous. The Spirit of God speaking to you. You know from the Word of God it's wrong. I mean, you know that you know. But your emotion says you deserve it. You deserve a break today. And it's often these emotionally based decisions that we haven't thought through that we made in the motion that hurt the most. Don't make long-term decisions based on emotions because the quality of our decisions determine our lives and the quality of our lives. One of the best ways to live forward-looking, God-loving people God-glorifying people to decide before what you will do later, to pre-decide. Decide before what you will do later. It's the power of pre-deciding. I want you to think about that, the power of pre-deciding. As followers of Christ, we'll ask God to help us pre-decide. With God's help, guided by his word and by his spirit, we will determine our course of action before the moment of decision. So look at this. So this is what we're going to do. When faced with blank... This situation, I've pre-decided to blank, take this action. Now, in my life, this is how one way this had played out in my life. When I was growing up, when I was about 13 or 14 years old, my dad took me aside and talked to me. My, my dad had fought in World War II. He was on a B-24. He was the top turret gunner and the radio operator. And... Uh, one point in my life, I was asking my father, because I didn't realize this, the fatality rate for guys who were in the Army Air Corps was 50%. In other words, there was only a 50% chance that you would come home. Guys in the infantry, although a lot of guys died in the infantry, the infantry death rate was 4 or 5%. So I asked my dad one day, I said, why, dad, why did you decide to go into the Army Air Corps where there was a much higher death rate than to be an infantryman. And my dad said, I wanted to know where I was going to sleep at night. I didn't want to sleep in a hole in the ground. So that was my dad. So one day he's talking to me, my dad. So, so you think this is a, when you go up on your mission to fly, there's a very real chance. A lot of the people who leave with you that day are not coming back in every mission. Planes are going to get shot down, and people are going to die. So every day you're facing that. And so you're going to go on what they call sorties. And every time you left, every time a sortie is French word for exit, every time you'd have a sortie uh, and go on a mission, there was a, a very real possibility you weren't coming home. So how do most people cope with that? Well, young men, my dad was 19 at the time. Most young men who coped with that during that time coped with it by getting drunk a lot. They coped with their fears with drinking. My dad didn't drink, and so he kind of became the mother for the group, you know. And so my dad, when I was about 14 years old, 13 or 14 years old, he took me aside. He said, son, I want you to know something. I want you to do something for me. He said, I want you to think about not drinking. He said, I went to war and I watched guys drink because they were trying to drink to deal with their fears. My father had become a Christian right before he went to war when he was 19. He said, I watched them deal with their fears by getting drunk and drinking. He said, it didn't help. 
He said, I watched them, and they weren't more joyful than me were, than I was. They weren't happier than I was. They weren't having a better time in life. They were just the way that they were coping. He said, but I didn't need it. It didn't help. He said, and you don't need it either. I'd like you to think about not drinking. And so that just made an impact on me. And he didn't make it a spiritual thing. You know, Jesus loves you to not drink, or if you drink, you're going to hell. It was, it was all on this level of this is a good decision. I've observed it in my life. I had great respect for my father. I've observed it in my life, and I would encourage you not to drink. So when, as I grew up, and I was with friends, and I grew up in the 70s, there was drinking, there was drugs, there was marijuana, and everything was happening. Just like, gosh, it's just like today. <laughs> it hasn't really changed much, has it? And uh, there's great opportunity. So when my friends would go drink, I went with them, but I didn't drink. When my friends smoked pot, I was with them. So I got secondhand smoke, I guess. But I didn't smoke pot. And you know what? I, if you notice this, this is fun. Just do this. When you're with a bunch of drinkers, don't drink. It'll drive them crazy. They want you to drink so bad. I don't know why. And the same truth as all those things. It's like because misery loves company. But that, that empowered me. I, some, because I made a pre-decision. So, I mean, the guys that are hanging with, when they drink, they say, you want something to drink? No. I'm, I, I, I wasn't perfect. I did try one time. I did try to get drunk one time. And that was the dumbest thing that I ever did in my life. I mean, so I would say to you, pre-deciding can help you. It's the power of pre-deciding. As followers of Christ, he's going to help us through his word. He's going to lead us by his spirit, and he'll help us determine a course of action to take before the moment. So here's some things. Don't make permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. Commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Like when you're tempted to make an impulse purchase. Predecide to wait three days. Or wait some period of time. Let your emotions cool off. I mean, so if you go to the car dealership, be ready to think about, I'm going to get up and walk out. I'm not trapped here. And I know they've told you that that deal's never coming back. They're going to make the deal to the next person who walks in there and the next person who walks in. It's, it does, it's not a one-time offer. I mean, and even if it is, even if it is a one-time offer, it still may not be the offer for you. So you might need to be able to step away. What about when you're worried? Some of you are worriers. You need to pre-decide, I am not going to worry because the Bible calls worry sin. It says, do not worry. The Bible is really clear. It says, don't worry. Because worry is a declaration of unbelief. I don't trust God with my life. So then you have to make a declaration. I do trust God with my life. I am going to believe in God. 
and I'm going to take the burden to God. I'm going to cast my cares upon him. I may be tempted to worry. I may have to fight against worry. It's going to come back tomorrow. It's going to come up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to wake up, be wide awake, and everything in the world is going to tell me, you ought to be laying here worrying. But I've decided not to worry. I've decided to put my trust in God. I'm not going to use unhealthy coping mechanisms like worry or drinking or food or porn or drugs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to depend upon the Lord. I'm going to ask the Lord for help. Someone caught, cuts you off in traffic. Predetermine your response. How are you going to respond? Are you going to tell them to go to hell? You're going to pray for them to go to heaven. I mean, not right then. You know, it's kind of the same thing. I wish you'd go to heaven right now. <laughs> God would just take you. But no, think of, I mean, because, man, traffic is horrible around here. There is no place you can go. There's not, you can't escape it. But it's horrible right here, right here in this area. But then just, just all over the Metroplex. And, you know, I don't know who to blame. <laughs> and I'm not going to say it. Okay. So pre-decide. There was a couple examples of the Bible. God says to Abraham, Genesis chapter 22, crazy, crazy thing. God says, hey, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the son of promise, Isaac, son I gave you. I want you to take him up on the mountain and sacrifice him to me. That's a hard one. Now, Hebrews tells us that he was able to do that because he believed that God had already told him that Isaac was the son of promise and that he believed that God was able to raise him from the dead if necessary. In other words, that even because he believed that God's the God of the living, so he had already believed that God was able to do what he had already promised because he had a son. He didn't think he'd have a son. It's hard to believe that he'd have a son at 100 years old, but he had a son at 100 years old, and so he was able to believe God that he could have, God could do it. He predecided to trust God. He predetermined to put his trust in God. Ruth, in the book of Ruth, her husband dies. And Naomi says, I'm going back home. I'm going back to Israel. Ruth was a Moabitess. And Ruth said, Wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you lodge, I'll lodge. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. So she predetermined, no matter what, she didn't know what, what it was going to be like. She didn't know how hard the journey was going to be. She didn't know how it was going to unfold. She didn't know that there was promise ahead of her that she was going to end up being in the lineage of Christ. She had no picture of that. She just knew, I, I've already decided how, what I'm going to do. I, I like the God that she's following. I want to be a part of that. And she determined to do that. Daniel. Daniel was part of the, the children of Israel when they're under judgment, and Nebuchadnezzar comes and captures and defeats Judah and takes all of the people that have anything, he takes them as slaves back to Babylon. And, and then they pick some of the smartest, brightest young men, and they teach them their they're indoctrinating them in the ways of Babylon. They're trying to brainwash them into Babylonian thinking. 
and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they determine that they're going to follow God. Listen to what Daniel says. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank, so he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. Daniel predecided what he was going to do. It was a difficult, tempting, life-challenging, fearful situation. So to face that, to be able to handle that in the moment, to, to be able to stand with courage in the moment, he had already made up his mind. What do you value? What do you want to be known by? How do you want to be remembered? What do you want written on your tombstone? Integrity? You want to be known by integrity and truthfulness? Faithfulness, purity, generosity. You need to clearly determine your values because when your values are clear, Daniel's values were clear. He knew what he believed. He knew what he believed in. Because his values were clear, it made his decision easier. So when it came time to bow to the golden image, they said, not doing it. I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. They said, you know what? We don't know if God will deliver us or not. We know he can, but we don't know if he will. But either way, we will not bow. That was a pre-decision, folks. They didn't make that decision in the fire. They made the decision before. So based on what you value, decide now what you'll do later. When faced with blank, this situation, when faced with this situation because of God's truth and what I've, I believe and what I value in my life, what I want to see is the outcome of my life, what I want to see the progress of my life, I have decided to take this action. I mean, Tina and I, a long time ago, we decided we weren't going to divorce. A couple of times we wanted to. She can be so stubborn. <laughs> so can I. Aren't you stubborn and selfish? Anybody here selfish? Yes. So we, but you know what we decided? We decided there's, it's not an option for us. And so we battled through. We, we would fight through. We would make it through. We would, we would continue to work, work on our marriage. And, I would, and I've told you, and I believe this, we've been to counseling multiple times and if she doesn't straighten up, we'll probably go again. It's not, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just saying that to be funny. It's not true. But we will go again if we need to. We, I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not ashamed that, I, oh, if you need help, don't ask for help. If you need help, get help. So we, if, several times we've needed help, we got help, and it's helped us. And I would tell you, every time we go through those difficult stages, it gets better. Our marriage gets better and better and better. It's better today than it's ever been. So you have to pre-decide. Make some decisions. Our decisions are rarely isolated. In other words, there's, you don't just make a decision and it's by itself. Decisions determine direction, and then direction determines your destiny. If you want to take your life back, if you've made bad decisions, you take your life back by making good decisions. You decide to do something different. 
Our bad decisions tend to compound, but also so do our good decisions. Because you reap what you sow. Galatians 6, 7 says this. Don't be deceived. God's not mocked. Whatever man sows, this he will also reap. In other words, you can't trick God. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap to the flesh. Sow the Spirit, you reap the Spirit. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Which one do you want? Want corruption, death, or eternal life? Pretty easy choice there, isn't it? How do you get that? By sowing to the Spirit, not sowing to the flesh. If your life's not moving in the direction of your, if your life is moving in the direction of your decisions, do you like the direction your decisions are taking you? If you don't, change your decisions and change your direction. I love this because think about Galatians says, whatever you sow, you'll reap. Sowing is a decision. It's, it's matter of fact, sowing is multiple decisions. It's, it's deciding what to plant. In other words, what am I going to do? It's deciding when to do it. When's a good time to do it? Now. When's a good time to start good decisions? It's not like a diet. Don't start a diet. When do you want to start a diet? Tomorrow. But you know what God says? Today is the day. God, always, God doesn't say don't wait. God doesn't say tomorrow, start tomorrow. God says today is the day of salvation. The time to start doing right is always right now. Don't make another bad decision based on emotion and your flesh. Right now determine, I want to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. I want to do exactly what he wants to do, his will in my life. So you have to decide what to plant. When to plant, how much to plant, that determines the outcome. Why is this important? Why is it important to predetermine? Because days are coming, difficult days are coming, and you may be in them. Because there's usually not a big stretch between you, between you don't have trouble. You know, it's, it's like if you're, if you're not having trouble in your life right now, Get ready. In the, Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. That's not, that's not the end of the story. The end of the story is not the trouble. The end of the story is Jesus. And so we put our trust in the Lord. Why? Because the day is coming when you're going to be in difficulty. You're going to be tired. You just get tired. You're going to be overwhelmed. A lot of stuff happening. Coming in a lot of different directions. You're going to be angry. Somebody's not doing their end of the, the deal. You're going to be emotional. You're going to be discouraged because you don't see anything happening. You thought something was going to happen. You're going to be depressed. And during those times, you're more vulnerable. You're, you're weaker. So predetermining how you're, what you're going to do and how you're going to act helps you. When your values are clear, decisions are easy. So, what, what we said at the beginning. A God-honoring life isn't based on a few big decisions, but upon thousands, upon thousands of smaller 
daily ones. So we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks how to make good decisions around a couple of important topics. We're going to talk about how to overcome temptation. Tim had an excellent sermon last week. A lot of you were here. You heard it on Why Can't I Stop? If you didn't get that, if you didn't hear that, you should listen to that because it was an excellent sermon. And uh, so we're going to talk about how to overcome temptation. We're going to talk about consistently being consistent. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's often easy to start and hard to finish. Anybody ever started a diet and didn't finish? You ever start a workout program didn't finish? Ever started a financial program didn't finish? Easy to start, hard to finish. We want to we want to grow in Christ. Sometimes we feel stagnant, like we're not growing, like we we we've hit a wall and we're not making progress in our faith. And we can make God wants you to grow. Did you know that? The goal is Jesus. The goal is for us to be like Jesus. And I'm not there. Are you there? We're not there, so we've got a ways to go. So there's something that God wants to work on in us right now. There's growth to happen in our faith, in our relationship with Christ. So he wants to help us with that. And he wants to help us deal with all the things that keep us from growing. And he wants us to overcome discouragement, the things.